I invite you to take your Bible with me, turn to Revelation chapter 18. Before we get to reading the text, I just want to uh, mention, um, re- maybe reaffirm, restate uh, what's happening in that uh, Revelation Q&A. So um, I'm going to send out a kind of a prompter email this week just to encourage you to send some questions in. Um, there have been a number of questions that have come to me. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And uh, this would be an opportunity just to, to put those uh, to me and I'll... I'll do my best to answer them. Uh, it's not a stump the pastor, so you know that, that, that's why I want them in advance, because uh, it wouldn't be hard to stump me. Um, this has been a very challenging study for me through Revelation, and, uh, and I think likewise some of you are equally challenged. Uh, secondly, uh, next Sunday, uh, we're uh, going to be celebrating a, a vital ordinance in the life of the church. Uh, we'll be baptizing believers And if you're a follower of Jesus and you have not identified with Christ in baptism, that's essential for obedience. You belong to Jesus and you haven't been baptized, it's essential for obedience. Jesus said, make disciples, baptizing them. And I don't know how a disciple of Jesus can say, yeah, I follow you, Jesus, but I'll I'll take that baptism, we'll leave that aside. That's that's a difficult stance to take in the face of what Jesus said. Um, But... The only compulsion uh, that you should have is obedience and a desire to follow Jesus. So if you have not been baptized by immersion as a believer, certainly want to encourage you to have that conversation with myself or any one of the other elders and uh, we'll have you included on that wonderful celebration that we'll be enjoying next, next Sunday. All right, Revelation chapter 18. Let's read. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Um, there's a lot of poetic indentation and repetition and parallelism, but uh, I, th- I think it's, uh, it'll be fine. So let's, uh, let's look at that together and read. Let's hear the word of God. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place For demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins have, are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning shall, I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. 
And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood and all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep and horses, chariots and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand afar off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and, and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence, and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you. No more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you. No more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you. No more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you. No more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints. And of all who have been slain on earth. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father, with the psalmist, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we may see wonderful things in your law. Indeed, the psalmist prayed this because reading on your word and having it affect us and change us and transform us is a, a divine work. So we're asking you, Father, by your spirit, open our eyes. We're praying, Spirit, open our hearts. We're praying, God, that you would ready our minds to hear from you. We know that uh, nothing of true value can be accomplished in this room apart from your Spirit. So we're, we're asking, we're begging that your Spirit would indeed work, that you would speak through the words of a mere man and cause something supernatural to happen in us something that only you can do. So give us that attentiveness that we need. Father, would you give me focus? Would you um, control my mouth? Help me to only speak what is helpful and for building up of your people and for the glorification of our Lord and Savior Jesus, in whom we pray all these things. Amen. Well, if you've watched the news recently, of course, you're aware of the horrific terrorist attacks on the innocents in Israel by Hamas. It's been horrific. That resulting war 
threats from Hezbollah as well and Iran, along with the, the ongoing war in Russia and Ukraine, not to mention threats, implied threats, I suppose, from China regarding Taiwan. I think biblically-minded people wondering, uh, are certainly wondering if we are seeing a, a sign of the end. But I want to remind you that in every generation, people have wondered the same thing. Here's what Jesus said. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Say that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So Jesus is describing wars, famines, natural disasters, pestilence, like an expectant mother in the throes of birth pains. These things subside and they surge with increasing frequency and amplitude. And when we think it could not get worse, it does. So there's absolutely no way to predict the end. Uh, what John is showing us, to borrow a title from an REM song, it's the end of the world as we know it. Uh, now, contrary to the band's confidence, those aligned with Babylon, as we look forward to, to what will happen in the end, those aligned with Babylon will not feel fine. Now, Babylon, I'll remind you in Revelation, that's a symbol. It's a symbolic, uh, it's a symbol for really what is the dominant world civilization. And that civilization is characterized by great wealth and idolatry. So they are anti-God. And in the end, that godless civilization will consolidate all the earthly powers and turn against the set-apart people of God. These are identified in Revelation. We've seen them in the past as those whose names have been written in the book of the Lamb that was slain. Those who are marked by the Spirit. Those who have believed that Jesus is the Son of God who came to the earth as a man, lived perfectly, died vicariously, that is to say in our place, as a full payment for our sin before God and then rose again. Those are the ones whose names are written in the book. And just as the Chaldean Empire under Nebuchadnezzar was paid back for her sins against the Israelites, so also will future Babylon, this eschatological world civilization that is anti-God, so they will also be, uh, be paid back for their sins against the new covenant people of God. In chapter 17, uh, we dealt with last time, that was a couple weeks ago, John described how this this. Uh, end would happen in a very short period of time, how Babylon will ultimately be destroyed. And here we are in chapter 18, and we're given more detail, more detail about her crimes, more detail about her corrupting influence in the world, and then more detail about her demise. So as we take a closer look at this section of scripture this morning, uh, I want us to consider it really under three headings. This is how I organized my thinking around this, and so I'll just share them with you in advance. So what we see, first of all, is the charge, the charge. Second, there's a warning, and third, a verdict. The charge, the warning, and the verdict. Let's get to the charge first. Some of you know this. You've personally been there looking across the DMZ. That's that border barrier between North and South Korea. There's a writer, Marco Magaritov uh, of AATI, wrote this. 
Kijongdong looks like a typical village from afar with a water tower, power lines, clean streets, and lights in the window of its plentiful buildings. But a closer look at Peace Village reveals that it doesn't have a single resident and it never has. That village across the DMZ is really emblematic of how the hermit kingdom and its leader today, Kim Jong-un, how they show themselves or attempt to present themselves to the world. And you know this, approved media images show an impressive army. They show impressive armaments, impressive looking streets, at least the ones that they let the media see. But it all hides this oppressive, abusive, totalitarian, anti-God regime. And the thing is, most of the world is not fooled by it in the least. Alternatively, here in Revelation, John has shown the downfall of Babylon, but in the case of this Babylon, the whole world has been deceived. The whole world has enthusiastically bought in. And an angel then brings this charge, summarizing her guilt. And we see this, the one bringing the message is this angel having, we're told in verse 1, having great authority coming down from heaven to make this charge, this pronouncement on Babylon. And we're told there that this angel has such glory to, in fact, brighten the whole earth. That's a heavenly glory. And I, I take it that's presumably because the glory of that angel comes from the throne of God. And it's to be contrasted with the empty glory, the presumed glory of Babylon. And why is Babylon fallen? Why that declaration? Well, the charge uh, the details of that charge follow. We're told this great city, Babylon, with its, and it's really a civilization, like I said, with its luxuries, its wealth, with its power, with its influence, it has this appearance of greatness. But we're told in verse 2, it is in fact a dwelling place, a haunt, that's a, a guarded pen or prison. It's a dwelling place for every unclean Spirit, unclean bird, unclean and detestable beast. And as has been often in the book of Revelation, here the reader is brought back to, to the prophets. And, and this is, has echoes of the judgment pronounced on ancient Babylon from Isaiah 13 and, and Jeremiah 50 and 51. The same kind of language is used there. There, back in ancient Babylon, the Lord stirred up the Medes to destroy them. And the Lord pledged that they would become desolate. They would become unsuitable for human habitation, that, that place, that, that it would be only a place that wild animals would care to live in. Now what John sees here kind of amps that up several notches and adds the demonic, the unclean spirits. And what John is being shown is that when the external glory, that facade of Babylon is stripped away, at its core, it is demonic. Demonic. And it's that demonic power that, that intoxicated the nations. Verse 3, the kings of the earth, as he says, to commit immoral acts. And again, I'll remind you, that's not a, a physical immorality, but it's really symbolic of idolatry. I'll give you an example in Ezekiel, uh, where if you look back there, Israel and Judah were accused of the language in Ezekiel, playing the whore. And, and they were turning away from the Lord to, to these lifeless idols, these gods of other nations. And for economic security here in, in, um, 
Here in Revelation, John is describing this immorality of the kings of the, of the earth. It's this economic benefit that by attaching them to Babylon's idolatry. Verse seven describes Babylon's arrogance, which I take it to be self-worship. She glorified herself and lived in luxury. And, and she's so confident about her, her, her ability to last forever in her own mind, again, as a collective, that, that she would never be brought down. She declares, I, I sit as queen. I am no widow. No mourning I shall, no mourning shall I, uh, sorry, and mourning I shall never see. And of course, this, this confidence, this hubris, it's, it's attractive to the nations. They want to enjoy her, her luxuries. They, they want to be part of that stream of wealth. They want to bask in her power and influence. So again, Babylon has this appearance of glory on the outside. But once that's stripped away, all that remains is evil. And so the, the angel declares, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Now this is future. So I, I take it that this is, this is the judgment at the very end. It's that prophetic perfect. And just to remind you, I, I take it here as well as that what John is seeing in this vision is really a description of the sixth and seventh bowls of judgment. That's back in chapter 16. So I take it that this is future. So what does it have to do with us today? Well, I take it that the Babylon is the concentrated financial, cultural, and political power of the elite in our world. Examples in the scriptures from the original Babel in Genesis, that civilization away from God, building a name for themselves with that tower up to heaven, to later Babylon and, and Greece and Rome and, and perhaps in our present day, Paris, London, New York, LA and the nations around these cities. It's a demonic influence that is behind merely human, anti-Christ, decadent, God-denying, self-indulgent civilization which has been in every time in history. And I would suggest to you, brothers and sisters, that the seeds of that have been sown in our time in Western nations, including our own. Now, it's not hard to identify it. I, I meet with a group of pastors uh, monthly for mutual encouragement, and, and we typically choose a book to go through. Right now, we're going through a book called uh, Strange New World. It's by an author named Carl Truman, a Christian author. And what that book does is it outlines the historical and philosophical foundations of the sexual revolution which, which that's ushered in. So it's ushered in these kinds of things which we can see, the normalization of homosexual behavior, the legitimization of same-sex unions, and a legal redefinition of the institute of marriage. We have, we have grieved these things. In addition, the, the transgender social contagion and the complicity of the medical establishment to accommodate to this, this mental disorder. And that our government and that of many Western nations have not only embraced these things, but have in fact enacted laws to punish those that oppose these horrific, immoral things. I think it reveals how much we, not us, the people of God, but we in the West, how much we have bought in to the spirit of Babylon. 
And I get it, the pendulum may, may yet swing in the opposite direction, but for now, we know this. The, the cultural and financial elites praise our progress. They delight in our enlightenment. And you know this, if you buy into the program, you will certainly prosper. Now, major corporations, we can see this, some doing it quietly, others very openly have bought in. Now, yeah, there's been some pushback. Target got some heat. That mega brewer, Ab InVev, got some heat. But you know this, the, the, the influence of the, if you're in the investment world, the influence of the major hedge funds and how they, how they direct the affairs of corporations from a distance. I see Heather nodding. She works at TD Ameritrade or what's it called, Schwab now. She knows. They direct them to, to certain types of pressure to embrace these things and, and make a public show of it. DEI, for those of you who know. So if you want to prosper, you got to buy in. That's where the big money is. Now, brothers and sisters, we, we live in this world. We have to have a sober view of our world. We have to understand that the reason that nations and corporations embrace these anti-biblical ideologies, and I'm going to say it, is because they've been demonically influenced. Now, I know that sounds alarmist, but I believe that's what we're being shown in the scriptures. And I'm not saying across the board every corporation is run by demons. I'm not saying that. But where these ideas creep in and they just say, well, you know, it's, it's good money. That's the deception. That's the buying in. Well, it's just what everybody's doing, right? I'll also say that what this does, it, it illustrates a general reality about the work of Satan in the world. Satan's a master counterfeiter. The Apostle Paul wrote this, that it's no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Think of what he's saying there. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Like, he's from God. He looks like he's from God. He looks like he's doing God's work. He's, that looks like the right thing. Which means it's hard to discern. That's his M.O. See, he presents this handsome exterior, but inside it's that same corruption. And listen, I don't doubt the evil one was the one whispering in the ears of the religious leaders who opposed Jesus. And remember, they thought, we're on God's side. And Jesus called them out. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness religious leaders in Jesus' day. The Apostle Paul likewise warned about impostors, spiritual impostors who might infiltrate the church in the last days. He wrote this. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, 
That's quite a list of sins. And you'd think he's talking about people who are rank atheists or, or pagan idolaters, but then he says this about them. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And he gives us warning. Avoid such people. The appearance of godliness. The appearance of rightness. The appearance of morality. Somehow. But it's just a facade. It's, it's North Korea's peace village. Outwardly it seems religious, but they deny. They, they don't possess the power of true godliness, who is the Holy Spirit. So all that they can produce in the end is that which is lust and greed and pride. We have to have a sober view of the world. Well, with open eyes now, what do we do? What are the people of God to do? And that brings me to the next heading, which is the warning. The warning. Uh, parents, you know this. If you've had teenagers uh, and you've taught them to drive, that can be a, a very harrowing experience, very fraught experience for the wannabe driver too. And I wonder, with me, how many, how many of you have made your kids cry <laughs> teaching them to drive? Uh, I've certainly done that. The reason this whole thing is difficult is because an unwise decision can, can lead to serious injury or death for, for yourself or others. Until that driver intuitively understands the hazards, what that parent is doing is, is calling out. He's warning. Put on your seatbelt. Don't, don't follow too close. Break sooner. Check over your shoulder. Stay in your lane. Give that cyclist some room, Right? Turn on your lights. <laughs> I know it's automatic today, but it used to be you had to turn them on. <laughs> what are you doing as a parent? You're looking out for your child. Those warnings are an expression of your profound love for them. I don't want you to be hurt. I don't want you to suffer. Now, God knows his people. He knows where they live, and he knows the allure of Babylon. So he sends another angel, this warning from the Lord, verse 4. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Come out of her, my people. Don't take part in her sins. I don't want you to suffer the consequences. The Lord is saying, look, judgment's coming on Babylon. The charge has been announced. The verdict is coming. Those are plagues. And that word is important. As God brought plagues upon Pharaoh and all of Egypt for her sins against the Israelites, so it will be to this end times Babylon. Plagues are coming. God has not forgotten. And we look around the world and we see evil rising up. God has not forget, forgotten her iniquities, the iniquities of Babylon. It tells us in verse 5 that those are heaped up as high as heaven. And this gives us echoes of Jeremiah 51. And what he's going to do, he's going to pay her back what she's done to others. And this warning to come out, he then describes, the, the vision then describes uh, Babylon's sins and how she seduced the nations. Acknowledging there, there is an allure here to Babylon. There's an attractiveness to this. That's why the warning, come out. This is not a safe place to be. The kings of the earth lived in luxury of Babylon the Great. 
The merchants of the earth, well, they profited from her commerce. That's verse 15. They traded with all kinds of goods and even human slaves. The mariners, they grew rich by her wealth, verse 19. You see, the allure is economic. Join in with Babylon and you'll be fine. And God wants to spare his own. The Lord says, come out of her, my people. He provided a way out of Egypt. Now he calls his people to separate from Babylon. He does not want us to be seduced. He's going to destroy it. So believers, those whose names have been written in the book of the lamb that was slain, you've got to put your, some space between yourself and the antichrist world system. Again, I understand this is not easy. When faced with the temptation to compromise, you, you might reason, I, I have to make a living. I have to provide for my family. That's right, isn't it? I, I need to have a nest egg for the future. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? God's people are his people by his choice. And as God's people, we must not, we cannot compromise and put our ultimate trust in the world. The Apostle Paul describes that we've been chosen, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. To what end? That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And he did this in love. Ephesians 1.4. So if you're in Christ today, if you've humbly acknowledged your sin before the Lord, if you've truly repented of those sins, if you've trusted in Jesus' death, knowing that it was for you, then God's will for you, God's will for you, I can say this with all scriptural authority, God's will for you is to be holy and blameless before him. That is why God set you apart. But if you buy in to Babylon, if you're seduced by the luxuries and the idolatry of the world, you're gonna look more like a citizen of Babylon and a citizen of God's eternal kingdom. So how do we do this? Well, we have to look to other parts of Scripture. When Jesus prayed for his disciples, and we're included in that in John 17, this is what he said to the Father. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. You're gonna live in Babylon but Jesus is praying that you'll be kept. There'll be some separation between you and the work of the evil one, that you will, you will understand his schemes. So we have to live in the world, but we have to live separately. But that said, I, I certainly don't think it means living like old order Mennonites or the Amish. I don't think that's what we're called to do. I, I think their separation is kind of artificial anyway. They get around in horse-drawn carriages, two-wheeled scooters without pedal propulsion. You've seen them. And I'm not mocking them. I understand what they're doing. But they still go into a highly technical barn that's internet connected with all of that the, the technology needed because they got to do business with the world. Somebody's got to buy the milk. We have to participate at some level in the world's economic system. We work to eat. We work to take care of our families. That is biblical. And the money we earn for our work gives us the means to do that. 
but the corrective or maybe the boundaries or the fence on this, if you will, is what the Apostle Paul writes. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. So you gotta look past the boss and look to the ultimate master, Jesus, in all the work that you do. And there may be occasions where the boss says, do this, and you're looking past that boss and saying, I'm looking to Jesus. Demote me if you have to. Fire me if you have to. But you work for the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So we, we work, we buy, we sell with the goal of honoring Jesus. It's a spiritual separation that at times will demand a physical separation. And I'm not answering all the implications of what that is. This certainly requires wisdom. It will require wisdom to choose to not do certain things. And some of those decisions will be obvious and others will not be so obvious. That's why we have a church. We come together. We have brothers and sisters and we say, I got the situation. Is it right to do this or to do this? And having people who are soaked in the word of God prayerfully consider your plight, your, your circumstance will help you make a decision. I'm confident of that. But what I am certain of as well is if you are, suggest that you're a believer in Jesus and you separate yourself from the church, you're gonna look like Babylon. You're gonna look like one of her citizens. Another way to guard our hearts in this matter, I know it might seem utterly unrelated, but is in the matter of your financial stewardship before the Lord and what you give, setting apart the first fruits. If you do that routinely as you get paid, it's a reminder. Whatever I received, that's from the Lord. So I'm just gonna carve off this chunk and say, God, this is for your purposes. It's a reminder that the wealth you have was put there by God. The opportunity to work was given by God. The skill that you have was entrusted to you by God. There isn't anything that you have that God does not own. And that financial giving is a great way to, to guard your heart. As you sacrificially set that aside, you're, you're choosing not to do something else. We need a separation. You need a separation between yourself and the world system. That's the warning. God says, come out, be separate. Well, finally, we have the verdict. The verdict. Uh, this last Friday at our Men's Coffee Fellowship, someone said that the kind of human violence that it was perpetrated against Israel, it's gotta be demonic. And I think I agree. It's incomprehensible to me that the terrorists and those celebrating those horrific acts of violence against innocents somehow believe their actions to be justified. There's no equivalency in my view in terms of what happened. Israel feels like they have to react to be and they're justified in doing so. Again, I don't see any equivalency, but here's, here's the thing. Israel's actions will not be perfectly just. They can't be. We are all in this world unjust actors. We seek justice, but we can't, 
We can't get it in a perfect sense. We need a perfect judge. We need a perfect judge to make things right. And when he does act, that will be cause for rejoicing for the people of God. What we see in this verses 20 through 24, the verdict comes down. Again, Babylon exists because people reject the rule of God. And because Babylon hates the rule of God, Babylon also hates the people of God. The Apostle Peter, I think it's the second letter. I didn't write down the reference. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. Peter says, it's not strange to be hated by the world. It's not strange, not unusual. And I know we've enjoyed a great time of peace in this nation, and we've, we've had it pretty good as Christians. And I dare say, I think we've become a little bit complacent. We've become a little bit lazy, perhaps. But persecution, according to Peter, is kind of normal. To be hated by the world is kind of normal. Well, verse 24 reveals what Babylon has done in the verdict. In her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who've been slain on the earth. Clearly, there's been some carnage here. The people of God have been slaughtered. Now, back in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, John there saw in his vision, it's, it was a strange picture, a vision of these souls who had been slain for the word of God and the witness that they bore. And they're under the altar. That's the, what he gets in the picture. And they there cry out to the Lord for justice, saying, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Well, here in chapter 18, that time has come. And it is a reason for God's people to rejoice. Verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. And the judgment that comes is symbolized by this massive millstone that is thrown into the sea. And that spells doom for, ba for Babylon because Babylon is thrown down with violence. And we see the result. The result. The judgment comes, and here's the effect. Verses 22 to 23. We see that there's, that he mentions harp, harpists and, and craftsmen and, and the lamp and, and a wedding and, and merchants. So in modern terminology, Babylon, when that day comes and the cultural elites of that day, but just say it was today, there'll be no more music, no more Taylor Swift concert, no more U2, no more, no more Chris Stapleton. It's country, right? <laughs> no more skilled trades, no more engineers, no more doctors, no more food production, no more ConAgra, no light, no OPPD, no marriages, no commerce, no Procter & Gamble, no UP, no Ford, no Berkshire Hathaway. It will all be gone. Nothing is left. It was always a facade and an empty promise. Now let me just back up a bit. I don't know that these corporations are run by demons. What I'm saying is whoever is the, the power in that day, they have bought into Babylon. 
the culture, the finance, the entertainment world, everything is all in and it's going to be silenced and demolished because it was a facade, it was an empty promise. And what will happen is the kings of the earth, we see this in verse 19, they're gonna weep and wail over Babylon's destruction. Why? Because they bought in and their luxuries are no more. I don't have my stuff. Those merchants of the earth, they are gonna weep and mourn 11 and 15 because their wealth has just gone up. It's destroyed, it's, it's, it's gone. The mariners, the, the ones who transported the goods, they're gonna throw dust on their heads as this expression of grief and mourning, weeping because their trade is gone. Their opportunity to earn, no more. It will be profound grief by all who were seduced by Babylon, but, and this is the divider, right? but an occasion for rejoicing for the people of God because justice will have been served. And at that moment, the whole world will see that Jesus, the Lamb of God who was slain, is the righteous and everlasting King. And as it says in Philippians 2, their knees will bow, their tongues will will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that day is yet coming. Or, or maybe it's soon. I, I don't know. But ask yourself, on that day, will you rejoice? Will you rejoice? Or will you mourn? Because all your eggs are in that basket. Because all your hope was there. See, this verdict reminds us as the people of God today, tells us where our affections need to be. John in his first letter wrote this. This applies in every, every time. Brothers and sisters, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And here's a verdict. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And that is our hope. Babylon can be completely wiped out. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we know this. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. And I'm not suggesting, and nor is John suggesting that you're gonna earn that fair favor of God by your obedience, but the will of God in this case, what Jesus said when somebody asked him, John chapter six, what is the work of God? The work of God is this that you believe in the one that God has sent. That's the work. Trust him, and you will not love the world. Trust him, and you, you'll rejoice when Babylon is destroyed. And yes, we have to live in the world. But what John is being shown here is the end of the world, at least as we know it. So again, the charge 
Babylon, the world system. It's demonic. It is oriented against the things of God and his kingdom. And don't be surprised that it hates you. Don't be surprised. But saints, believers in Jesus, make a separation from the world even while you have to live in it. And know this, Babylon will fall. It will be exposed. And on, day, on that day, there will be great rejoicing for the people of God because, because of the vindication of the Son of God will be made known before all creation. And if you're in Christ, you'll feel fine. No, more than that. You're gonna rejoice forevermore in him. Let's pray. Father, we know uh, where we live and we know you know where we live and we thank you that you are gracious to us to open our eyes with your word, to bless us with an awareness of what is around us. God, I pray that you would keep us as your people faithful, that you keep us separated even while we live in the world. We're not of it, as the Lord Jesus prayed. Help us to be those people. We want to be faithful to the end. We want to be a witness to those who are at this point are caught up in Babylon. We want to, we want to have your word on our minds and in our hearts and on our lips. We want to be able to share it with those that you're calling to separate themselves likewise from what is anti-Christ and demonic. Lord, we know that our faithfulness uh, in the end will be because you sustained us, and that is it. And so we ask that you would be gracious to us and sustain us for that day when the Lord Jesus returns, when every knee bows, when every tongue confesses, and when we get to see his vindication before all creation knowing that we will be with him forever. Keep us faithful to that day. In Jesus' name, amen.